the challenge, the opportunity to connect. The 1960s, a time of imagination and change, a time of anger and fear. The 1960s, a program called Challenge. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Looked at our connections, our divisions, through the lens of faith. Nearly 60 years later, during these challenging times, we'll take a new look at our divisions, our connections, in a new program called Challenge 2.0. A popular social media post notes that the late CBS news anchor Walter Cronkite read the news and kept his opinions to himself. This resonates with some at a time of polarization that rivals, if not exceeds that of the 1960s and 70s. And information that conflicts with personal opinion is viewed as fake. In reality, Cronkite pointedly revealed the difference between government accounts and the reality of the Vietnam War. Most Americans then obtained their information from news operations that were viewed as a public service, not as a profit center, and there was no social media. How changes in the news media is impacting what we hear as information and how changes in our attitudes is impacting what we believe we hear and what we believe of others. In this episode of Challenge 2.0, we visit with two veteran television news journalists. Well, we're very fortunate to have with us two veterans in every sense of the word, April Zapata, who is a former television news reporter, and Peter Frerichs, who is a active television news photographer. So April and Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. You know, as we talk about the media and some of the topics that we're going to be discussing, I think very often people use this term, the media, and view it as a monolith and just everybody is sort of this uh, collective without understanding that we have different motivations, we have different backgrounds, we have different experiences. So what I'd like to do is ask each of you to go back to the early part of your career and talk about what motivated you to go into broadcast journalism, you know, essentially what were your goals? One of the things that is kind of germane for my background is the fact that I grew up in a um, third world country on the other side of the world was, and, and actually grew up in a time when there was no television in, in this country. And so um, because this, it was also the 1960s and 70s, which were very turbulent um, periods. And so there was... As growing up, there was um, a real curiosity and, and um, to, to look at what was happening around the world. And, and I had a brother in Vietnam, so I was interested in, in that. We made sure that we were, um, we did know what was going on in the world. And then my father gave me a camera when I was about 12 and um, I got interested in photography and when I got to university and we had moved back to the United States, um, I was working in a grocery store. I actually started in print journalism and and um, dropped out mostly because of the cultural um, adaptation of growing up overseas in the third world country and not being used to America. And so uh, working in this grocery store and I thought, what do I like? And, and I... I, I always enjoyed watching shows that were sort of documentary in nature and just just the fascination of, of how you can show something and explain something. I, I always believed that it was really um, important to provide 
uh, sort of education, you know, in an, in a, in a hopefully entertaining, um, engaging sort of way. And I, I began to think that television was a, was a good way and combining with my interest in photography, um, that's, that's, so I eventually went back to university and got a degree in broadcast journalism. So that's how that worked. April, how about you? Well, I, Peter, I'll say you and I have something in common because I, I remember being probably the only kid um, on the block who loved documentaries. So totally get that piece. Um, I think for me, it was, it actually came down to a, to a singular event. Um, I was 11 years old. Uh, back then there was this a uh, horrible event that many may remember as the Jonestown Massacre, in which 900 people uh, took their lives or were killed. And there was a lot of concern around that cult leading up to that awful event, including a, a delegation that went to uh, Guyana to, to check it out and see what was happening there. And on their, on their way back home, um, the cult, a group of people from the cult opened fire on them, killing five in that delegation, including a reporter and a photographer. And so when I was 11, that was a huge story. I remember I happened to be watching TV when they broke in and had breaking news and they were airing video from the photographer's camera. Um, and it so struck me that he continued to shoot video as you see this, this truck um, of people coming towards him and opening fire. And it just really had a huge impact on me that um, people would give their lives essentially to um, be storytellers of the truth. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I just remember at that moment thinking, I want to be a reporter. Like, I want to be that person who cares so much about telling the truth and being voice for the voiceless that I would even put my life on the line for it. Okay. Um, from that point on, that was my whole intention of my career. And I never deviated once. So I ended up um, getting a degree in broadcast journalism, um, got my first job at this little station in Yakima where I was like reporting and then producing and then sweeping floors and that kind of thing. Um, then went to Spokane and then eventually came to Seattle, which was always my ultimate goal was to come home and be in Seattle and be back near family. Um, so it was a, a singular minded journey for me and, um, probably one of the greatest decisions I ever made because it was a really, really meaningful and impactful career for me. I think as we look at our careers, all of us having been in the news media in different roles, uh, you get a point when you say, you know, I really made the right choice. There's some experience where you feel I'm contributing, I'm achieving the goal that I set out for. What were those for both of you? When I think back, um, it's not the investigative pieces. It's not the um, interviews with rich and powerful people. It, it actually, I felt like some of the um, biggest and most important moments for me was making a difference for just everyday people. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember specifically covering a story in Snohomish County about a, a county park um, that was in the middle of a residential area. Many neighbors had reached out to the county 
very concerned about what was happening in the park. Uh, there was a lot of crime. Um, people didn't feel safe sending their kids there anymore. and felt like really they had been robbed of this opportunity to share this open space within their community. Um, so eventually they reached out as a neighborhood to the news. Mm -hmm. And I went and covered that story. When we got to the park, there were uh, there were hypodermic needles everywhere. Um, we actually were approached by someone while we were in the park who wanted to uh, take our equipment from us. Uh, it became really quickly apparent that this really was a real problem. Um, so we decided the way we would handle it would be actually just to do a, a live shot and just simply walk through the park and show people what that experience would be. And after we finished that story and aired it, um, the following day, the, um, the county sent out an emphasis patrol. Uh, they sent out a cleanup crew uh, and immediately took action. And it, it just made me realize that that neighborhood had tried and failed to get change. It was the media's involvement that finally really drove that change. And it was those kinds of stories that I felt were um, the exclamation point on why I chose to, to get into the business. I think for me, um, you know, it's, it's, I've done a fair amount of freelance work that is not really news related. It's more, it's more um, working for um, NGOs um mm -hmm. overseas filming stuff for them and and i think that that's some of been that's that's been some of my um most meaningful work um i remember we were in in uh peru up on the altiplano we were probably mm -hmm. at like eleven thousand feet or something and doing a, a piece on a small farmer um because it was a this is a, a program on micro grants mm. to to farmers and um, we were in the guy's field and and there are no roads in this place. We actually had a four wheel drive and drove through the country and he he met us on horseback and he actually got home faster than we could because um, there were little swampy areas and, and rocks and, and um, old rock fences left over from probably the Incas and and um, so we had to drive around all that stuff and, and he could go straight home, but it was right after 9-11 and, and um, he just very quietly said, um, you know, I'm sorry about what has happened um, in your country um, and, and expressed his, his um, sympathy for us and, and just things like that, connecting with showing that this person who most of us would never even think of um, is aware of what's happening, and 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 um, it just humanized the whole situation. Mm -hmm. um, it's 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 that sense of 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 connecting our world with their world and and building empathy. There's a sense of polarization and disregard for the news media, and given that polarization and the belief in a news outlet that echoes your views and the disbelief or even terming as fake those that don't echo your views to what sense is there any justification for that what are your viewpoints of that and uh 
Go ahead, April, if you tackle that first and then Peter. You know, there's a couple things happening there. Um, one, I think people are being funneled into uh, some, in some situations, fewer choices. So for example, when I was doing news, uh, we had the PI in addition to Seattle Times, we had um, the Seattle Weekly, there was even the, the Stranger. There were more places where you could choose um, media that might have a variety of different viewpoints. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's less of that. Um, at the same time, there is 24 hour news coverage and it takes a, a lot to fill all that time. And so mm -hmm. since you can't fill it with, with constant contact content, you've got so many more pundits and subject matter experts. And then they are sharing um, a lot about what they think everything means and theorizing um, and so that really starts to blur the lines on, on facts. And so I think over time, what begins to happen is people begin to really believe and uh, have an affinity for the information that they are getting. And it just creates its own reality in which you no longer hear the other side. Mm -hmm. And so if I, I will often listen to certain news stations, but I will not hear anything about the other side. And so I'm not getting balanced coverage anymore. And I think that just drives um, the divide even further. And when you think about, when I think about cable news in particular, mostly what they're covering is, is politics. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what is politics, but literally um, two sides of the aisle. And so it really does uh, create an environment where you truly are talking about a divide and mm -hmm. that simply polarizes people for that reason. Peter, being out covering news, what's your viewpoint on that? You can look at the media it's, itself and, and, and um, you know, because of efforts to, to be profitable um, because of consultants, whatever. I think that that, that we have often um, stuck to familiar and, and comfortable subjects. And so the problem is, is that, for instance, I think of of um, the Seattle market and and how little coverage we do of the other side of the state. And 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 I'm thinking that how do you you know how do you know what those people it's very easy to to kind of silo them into a certain type of or group or, or anything and and um that that doesn't really uh, you know we don't see eye to eye we don't understand them we don't understand the issues that they're dealing with and and um so i think that keeping a broad um vision of what what media is supposed to do um is is something that we maybe have lost and and um you know there are certain issues that, that i think that we cover way too much and and you know and that is you know sort of this more sensational crime things mm -hmm. a term that we may not be familiar to viewers uh we might say reporters photographers concentrating on a particular area what we used to call the beat system uh, developed a lot of familiarity uh, right and you could get those additional stories uh and with downsizing of newsroom staffs and that sort of thing you don't see that that much 
Uh, to what extent do you think that is harming the quality and the breadth of information that are people that people are acquiring by watching us? Uh, by the fact that you typically don't have people that really specialize on a long-term basis covering a particular area. I think it's 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 really critical. I think that that um, you know relationships get developed, and and um, you will hear things. People will tell you things that you're never going to find out unless you have uh, connection with with people. And I think it you know it's 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 a trust is critical in in the job and. Um, they know you, you know them, and, and you find out the people that, that, you know, that you can build a relationship with. And, and, and I think that that, it, it's why we've gotten away from a beat system. I, I never really understood. And, and um, it, it just, I think that that's something that, that, that uh, we definitely should try and, and get back to as much as, as we can. Um, it all goes down to staffing and, and budgets and, and uh, um, you know, economies of, of television stations aren't quite what they used to, or they're a long way from what they used to be. And, and uh, um, so it's, it's, I think they, they, they sort of look at someone who's just a generalist and, and think that they can throw them at any, any kind of story that comes along. When at least I worked uh, and each of us worked at different television stations in the Seattle area. And each station originally was locally owned. And now there are acquisitions, there are mergers, et cetera, and none of them are owned locally. Uh, so I'd like you to offer your take on that and also what effect uh, that remote ownership has had on that aspect of media coverage. Yeah, I, I think... That is a challenge um, for media in that you have uh, fewer and fewer large media conglomerates owning all the different uh, stations and media uh, outlets across the country. And so when you have all that consolidation and centralization, um, over time, you really start to lose, I think, that focus on local news. I don't see a whole lot of local politics, for example, being covered um, in news today, in local news. I'll see the local crime, but the actual local politics or issues, civic issues facing communities is not what you see so much anymore. And I think that is uh, in part due to uh, ownership that has um, interest in perhaps big business, uh, ownership may have political action committees, and over time, the tone and um, needs of that larger business funnels down into local coverage and shifts the coverage itself. And I, I believe there's actually even been um, some studies on that that show once you've got a company like that owning a local station, that the local coverage suffers. And so it, it really does change the makeup of, of the news that we get locally when there is a national large media company owning that station. I, I think that another angle that, that is with the corporate ownership of, of media is I work with people that grew up with, you know, when they were kids, they were watching JP Patches. You know, it's a local television show, and there are probably several versions of, of that, you know, and, and King King for a long time had this 
show modeled on Saturday Night Live kind of. Right. And, and uh, there's just no emphasis on that or interest in that on it when it's when it's owned by a big corporation. And and I think that those shows um, really bring in, uh, you know, a sense of ownership or or connection with local people and a trust and 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 appreciation of of you know the local um station that they like or or you know it just it just shows that the station is is interested in the local community and is willing to invest resources into it i'd like to know what your recommendations are for people that are watching the news in terms of let's say first how do you find reliable information given what we've all been talking about well i think I think you have to be intentional about it, quite frankly. Um, I avoid, if I come across news that has no author, you can't mm-hmm. tell who wrote it, um, I'm only going to take it with a grain of salt. Um, you know, there's a push pull, right? There's information that's pushed to you, and then there's information that you pull in yourself. Um, I find it to be far more reliable um, to be really concentrating on the stuff I'm pulling myself. Mm-hmm. because I can make sure I'm pulling from legitimate sources. Um, what I have found is because we are seeing that polarization in the media, um, I might have a favorite uh, publication that I'm reading, but it's, it's going to be a bit of an echo chamber. It's going to be speaking to me because that's the kinds of things I'm interested in. And again, I'm not hearing the other side. So one thing I have started doing is I pull my news from the AP and Reuters. You know, they they provide, um, they are a news source to um, media outlets across the spectrum from uh, liberal to conservative because they are really, they're pretty much, you know, just the facts. Um, you're, you're not seeing a, a bent in that coverage. And I just find that if I'm pulling from those two sources, I am more likely to be able to make my own decision about how I feel about a certain event because it's not being fed to me. I think consumers need to, news consumers need to um, definitely make an effort to look beyond, not not get into a habit of just watching one thing and or listening to one thing and, and just because it's comfortable and if it's their, their viewpoint. Um, and and I think that's even that's becoming it's always been important critical but it's it's even more critical than it has been in the past. Uh, when there are situations to use just an all too frequent uh, contemporary example uh, of school shootings, uh, how did you maintain resilience covering such stories, uh, both of you, and how? would you recommend viewers be able to absorb and process that uh, in a way that maintains some sense of balance and uh, doesn't drive them into depths of despair? I think that you have to um, limit your listening or watching to news. (laughs) I, I think that, you know, absolutely you should watch it or listen to it, read it every day, but um, you've got to seek out other sources of information. <laughs> Interestingly, when um, once I was out of news, um, for that first year, uh, I had a lot of just so many um, memories, 
uh, come flooding back that I, I think I just kind of kept holding at bay because I was still in it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I was out of it um, that I just, there was a lot that I realized I just had to kind of come to some terms with. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone deals with it in their, um, in their own way. For news coverage that can be upsetting, what I have found works for me is when there is uh, a very big uh, story in the very early days and hours of any story is when I make a real point not to watch. Um, I know that's when most people go, hey, this is happening. I'm going to turn it on right now to find out what's going on. For me, I also know that it is a time when you see unedited uh, video. You're seeing live pictures of you know, parents running to schools and breaking down, finding their, uh, finding out their children aren't alive. Um, there's some of the most upsetting imagery in the very beginning of a new story. It's also a time when not all the facts are out there. So there's lots of filling in the gaps with um, what people think may have happened. Right. And so it's just, it's not a good time for me to watch. So that is one tactic that I take. And especially because after some time has passed, there is, there is more factual information. Mm-hmm. I don't think we should just turn it off, um, which I did for the first week and a half, because there is, there is some responsibility that we all have to make sure that we are informed about the issues that are mm-hmm. facing um, society. And mm-hmm. violence is clearly one of them. So I don't want to put my head in the sand but I do know that there's ways I can take care of myself when it's something that's pretty hard to watch and hear about. Well, I thank you both very much for sharing your perspectives and experience. And I know this is going to give a greater sense of depth to people about what goes on, uh, the challenges that uh, reporters, photographers, everybody in the uh, news media faces, and what perhaps they can do to deal with it. So I thank you both very much for participating in this. And uh, thank those of you out there that are watching or listening to this on the podcast. And I hope you'll tune in for the next edition of Challenge 2.0. Thank you very much.